0: Let's pray, and then we'll get into what we're going to be doing today. Um, God, you're good, and we want to say thank you for all that you've done for us. And now as we open your word, may you guide us, may you teach us, um, Lord, and yeah, Lord, may you change us. Amen. So, we're going to be looking at a a passage in Luke's Gospel. Um, And as going through this text, which we'll read in a second, I'm often reminded of... um, A show that my dad used to be a huge fan of, Grand Designs. Anybody ever seen Grand Designs? Which is this, and to be honest, I quite like it as well, actually. But I only ever really watch it when he's watching it. But anyway, it's basically, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's basically, well, kind of the names in the title, Grand Design. Basically, these people who have these grand designs for houses, they have this plan to make this incredible house and basically the hour-long show shows them going from point A, where there is literally nothing except an idea, to the final finished product. And, and to be honest, as you're watching it, and as I'm watching it, the thing which really makes me stick to the end is wanting to see that finished project, wanting to see, wow, this incredible house. And you, as you go through the program, there are things which happen every single program, it Number one, they always under budget. They always spend more than they were expecting to. And number two, it almost always takes longer than they expected. But as you come and you see these amazing houses, what they all have in common is that they have, they have a good, they have a solid foundation. And we're going to be looking at That imagery, the idea of a house, the idea of a building, and the idea of a foundation. And as we go through this text, I want you to keep this question in mind. What are you building your life upon? Or maybe put another way, you could say, what is the foundation of your life? And this is going to be the question we're going to explore today as we look at the teaching of Jesus found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Right at the end of Jesus' teaching in chapter 6, this really long chapter of Jesus' teaching, um, and Luke's account of this beautiful sermon ends uh, with a parable. Uh, Basically an illustration, a story with a message and a meaning behind it. And and what is amazing about Jesus, kind of the, the ultimate preacher, among many other things, is that he's able to bring across this 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 point. He he chooses an illustration, a picture that us, two thousand years removed Thousands of years away from that, from Israel, a completely different culture, and yet we can still grasp it. We can still understand it, and that's, that's just how masterfully He is able to communicate and to teach. So let's read this text together. It's found in Luke, chapter six, verse forty-six to forty-nine. So Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. I'm reading from the ESV ESV version, that's the one. (laughs) English Standard Version. Anyway, it says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. Or some translations will say, because it was founded on the rock. Next verse says, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Before we look at the specifics of what Jesus says, I just want to highlight a couple of things that we immediately learn about Jesus. First thing we learn is this, is that there's no fooling Jesus. Jesus knows what is truly going on in your heart and in your life, he, he ultimately knows where you're really at. You see, the, the audience to this sermon is basically a huge crowd and Jesus' disciples. And when Jesus asks them why they call him Lord, and yet, do not, and yet do not do what he says, it implies that Jesus knows. Jesus knows that there are people in front of him who are more than willing to give their allegiance to Jesus with their mouths, but not with their heart and not with their lives. You see, Jesus sees our heart. He sees the true condition of our heart. It says this in, in Jeremiah 17, verse 9 to 10. says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I the Lord searched the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. I mean, our hearts are really complicated and our hearts are, are broken and sinful to the point that we, our hearts deceive ourselves. We, we're like expert liars that lying to ourselves and fooling ourselves. And yet God, in his grace, God truly knows what, where our heart is at. And that's a great place to start. You want to know what's really going in your heart? Be like, hey God, show me what is truly going on inside of my heart. Because he sees, because he knows. And by God's grace, he not only exposes the true nature of our heart, but he's also a God who changes our heart as well. That's the first thing we see. There's, no, there's just no fooling Jesus. The second thing we see is he's not afraid to say it how it is. Right? Think about it. He's a master. This huge crowd, and as we, the events we read before, and he's been healing people. People have been healed. People's lives are being changed. People are literally kind of jumping at the bit to follow Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Like, if you were Jesus' like PA or something, right, his personal advisor, you wouldn't be exactly advising him to, to say this, would you? You'd be like, hey, Jesus, hold off on the really difficult stuff, maybe until later on, maybe until, you know, a bit further down the line. But no, actually, Jesus said, no, this is the right time, this is the right opportunity, and he calls them out. He exposes the true nature of what's going on in their hearts. And Jesus has no problem with confrontation, he doesn't have a problem with saying things, how they truly hide. He doesn't skirt around the issue, but he gets to the point. He gets right to the, the heart of the issue. And this, this is, is grace. Because without such words, without such confrontation, without being so blunt, people would continue to live the same they would continue to live unchanged. It is only through our need and our brokenness being exposed that we truly get the help that we need. He says to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's pretty simple. You cannot call jesus your lord if you're not willing to do what he says and that's a challenge to look at your life and can you truly say that he is your lord are you doing what he is telling you to do are there areas in your life where you're refusing to do what he has clearly spoken on if so the rough truth is that he isn't he isn't your lord and the Bible the Bible is very clear that even after becoming Christians, we're not gonna be perfect. We will continue to wrestle with sin until the end. But there is a very big difference between someone who is fighting to put sin to death and someone who is repeatedly, habitually, continually choosing to do that which is contrary to God. That which is contrary to what Jesus has clearly said. Think about it. Let's begin to put a a couple of scenarios into this. You cannot call Jesus your Lord if you're continually, and then just fill in the blank, if you're continually lying to others, continually um, stealing from others, continually hurling others, continually refusing to share your faith with others, continuing to lust after others, continuing to take the area of sex outside of what God and the the boundaries that Jesus has put in place of marriage between one man and one woman, when you begin to do that, continually doing that, you cannot call Jesus your Lord. And we could go on and the list could go on. And it's interesting because when you think about when in, in the, the if you look at the whole chapter as a whole, as Jesus has healed these people, and as Jesus has preached this sermon, many uh, which is commonly known as the Beatitudes, where he's given these, these challenges, like pray for those who hurt you, and, 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 and showing love to your enemy, and all these radical things, and yet he follows up right at the end, and he says, look, I've, I've, I've told you all this, I've given you all this instruction, all this great teaching, but you can't call me Lord, Lord, if you choose now not to listen. If you choose not to obey. When we choose not to obey Jesus, we declare to him and we declare to the world that we think we know better. With our actions, we demonstrate what we really think. We think that when we, when we choose not to obey what he tells us to do, the truth is that we are displaying to everybody that we think that we would make a better God than him. That our views on the world are better than his. That our views on relationships are better than his. And our views on finances and people and politics are better than his. And the list goes on and on and on. When we choose and refuse to do what he says, we essentially say that him and the world, that are view that our opinion, that our choices are greater than his. And if we find ourselves in that situation, the Bible says that we are truly deceived. Let's look at James. James, the brother of Jesus, brings this truth home in his in his epistle. If you turn to James and the first chapter of James in the New Testament, The brother of Jesus writes this in James chapter 1 and verse 19. He says, He says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then he says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James, he tells us to put away everything in our lives that even has a hint of sin and wickedness. But as we put our sin away, he then calls us to then embrace the Word, to embrace God's Word. And is this a practice that marks your life? Are you casting away sin and instead embracing the Word? But then James, he continues to then, he goes even further. Because as we embrace the Word, just as Jesus said, he then calls us to obey it. We are called to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Remember back to Jesus' sermon. This is exactly what he's saying to the crowd. This is the, the crowd's problem. They're hearing the words of Jesus but they're not doing them. And James then says something very key about when we choose to live in such a way. James says, we deceive ourselves. And what does it mean to be deceived? To be deceived, it means to believe something that is not true. When you are, be, when you are being just a hearer and not a doer of the word, you are deceiving yourself. And is that, is that you? Is that where you find yourself? Are you deceiving yourself to think that it is okay to live such a life? Are you deceiving yourself to think that you would make a better Lord than Jesus? If that is you, he invites you to confess your sin and then pray for the Holy Spirit's power to change you. To change you from simply being a hearer of the word to a doer of the word, from someone who is deceived to someone who is blessed. And that is the contrast that James makes at the end of those verses, where he says, He will be blessed in doing so. If you look into the perfect word, the word that brings freedom, if you persevere and act upon that word, you will not be deceived, but rather you will be blessed in doing so. He calls us not to believe the lie. Do not believe the lie, the lie that says that you would make a better God than God. Because that, I mean, it, because isn't that how sin it, it, it first entered the world? When Adam and Eve believed The lie, the lie that said that they could be God instead of the true God. Paul explains it this way in Romans, in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 21 to 25. Paul explains this way, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the, the, Im- the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They exchanged the truth for a lie. They chose for themselves a different Lord. And the consequences, the consequences was death. James warns us of the, foolish, the foolishness of such. A mindset, And Jesus does the same too. You see, Jesus wanted to warn the people of the dangers of such a lifestyle and he wants to warn us too. And that is, that's grace. Jesus does not have to do that, but Jesus chooses to. He chooses to warn us and say, hey look, you can't continue to live a life where with your mouth you call me Lord, but with your heart and your actions you fail to obey me. You cannot do this because it will lead to destruction. And that is grace because Jesus ultimately wants us to be like this wise man. Jesus wants us to be like the first man in the story of whom we read this. It says this in verse 47 of what we read. Everyone... Who comes to me, and hears my word, and does them, I will show you what he is like. I want you to notice that there are three steps, there are three aspects to the man who builds his house upon the rock. As we read, as Jesus says, "Everyone who one comes to me, two, hears my words, and three does." My words. Let me say those three things again: Who comes? The one who comes to me, the one who hears my words, and the one who does my words. And think about it: Is that not what it means to be a Christian? To be a person who comes to Jesus, and that just means to draw near to Jesus. Someone who then listens to Jesus and someone who then obeys Jesus. You see, all three of these things are important. And as Jesus himself says, the wise man is the one who does all things. The wise man is the one who comes to Jesus. He is Jesus and does what Jesus says. But I briefly want to look at that first aspect because to be honest, in some ways, the other two hinge on that first one, which is, which is the question, will you come to Jesus? Will you draw near to Jesus? And the question is, what is stopping you from going to Jesus? Is it the shame of past or present sin? Or maybe it's just saying you're too busy. Too many other commitments or priorities. I don't have the time to come to Jesus. I've got all this to worry about. I've got this to think about. I've got this to do. Or maybe it's simply you don't desire to. Some people don't come to Jesus because they don't want to come to Jesus. They're angry against him or or they have other feelings, uh, negative feelings towards him. Or maybe you don't come to Jesus because you don't believe in him. There are many things which could, which could stop us from coming to him. But whatever the excuse is, that is exactly what it is. It is just an excuse because the truth is that Jesus, in his grace, has provided everything that we need so that we can come to him. You see, Jesus has done all the work. He has provided the way and now he just leaves us with a choice. It says this in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14 says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. And then it says this final bit, it says this, let us then With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It is through Jesus and his work on the cross, dying in our place, that we can boldly approach him. Not because of what we've done but because of everything that he has accomplished for us. Jesus who left his heavenly throne, Jesus who came down to earth into our brokenness, who experienced weakness, who endured temptation and yet succeeded where we failed. Living a perfect life, dying in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could experience grace. You see, he's provided the way. If it's our sin or our shame that stops us, we look to the cross and say, Jesus has paid it all. He knows our sin. He knows our shame and he died for it on the cross. Therefore, I can now come to him. You see, the truth is that when we refuse to draw near to him, we miss out. We miss out on the grace and we miss out on the mercy that he freely offers us, which we, we desperately need, especially in our time of need. You see, the truth is, in us refusing to draw near to Jesus, we, we are the ones who ultimately miss out. And the thing we ultimately miss out is, it's on life. It's amazing that like, I'm too busy to come to Jesus because I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to enjoy this when Jesus says He has everlasting joy, or I'm too busy to come to Jesus because I've got to get all my finances sorted where He promises to provide. But I, you don't understand, Jesus. I need to sort out my security where Jesus says He promises to be our security. You see, we are the ones who miss out on life because, as Jesus Himself says this in John's Gospel, chapter six and verse thirty-five, "I am." the bread of life and whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst and what Jesus is talking about there he's not talking about physical hunger and thirst he's talking about spiritual hunger and thirst that, that, that need inside of us that hunger and desire and he says if you would just come to me because I am that life you so desire and what What an invitation that is. What an invitation that is that Jesus would say that. And the truth is, may God forgive us for how quickly we forget just how much we need him. And just how much grace he desires to give to us. If we would just humble ourselves and come to him. And as we come to him, as we listen to him, and as we obey, Jesus says, we begin to lay a firm foundation. says this, verse 48 of what we read, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock and when a flood arose, The stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built, because it had been founded upon the rock. You see, when you live a life of coming, listening and obeying Jesus, you are like the man building his house, his life upon a foundation, upon a rock, upon Jesus. We see in a number of places throughout the scripture Jesus <coughs> being referred to as the rock. Perhaps the clearest passage on this, using this kind of imagery, especially as it relates to buildings, found in Peter's letter, which is quite ironic because Peter's name itself means rock. It says this in 1 Peter 2 and verse 4 to 8 it says this, As you come, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, sorry, let me say that again. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. You see, Jesus is meant to be not just the foundation of our individual lives, but he's also he's meant to be the foundation of us corporately. The foundation of us as a church, as a gathering. You see, our denomination, our musical styles, our common interests, our social cordes, that which we share in common, all of these things may have their place, but they shouldn't be the foundation. You see, the foundation, the cornerstone, is meant to be Jesus. Jesus. As Peter says, the one who was rejected. Jesus, the one who is chosen and precious. Jesus through whom we can present acceptable sacrifices and whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. If you put your trust and your faith in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. I know that that may be hard to see at times, but it is true. You will not be put to shame. When this life ends, you will look back and you will not regret that decision you you took to put your trust in Jesus. Because for the believer in Jesus, we we don't receive shame, but we will receive honour. But for those who do not believe Jesus, Jesus is simply an offence and a stumbling block. And it is amazing how we so often try to build the house without him. We try to make something or someone else other than Jesus our foundation, and then we're somehow shocked when it doesn't stand. We're somehow shocked when it all comes tumbling down. But you see, with this man, the flood arises. It says this the flood arose, the stream broke, gets our house, and it could not shake it. The wise man's house could not be shaken. In our parable, what is the main similarity between these two men that we have before us? We have what's commonly known as the wise man and the foolish man. And there is actually quite a key similarity between the two of them, and that is this, that they both experienced the hardship of a flood. They both went through storms. You see, when we give our lives to Christ, he doesn't promise us to give us a pain-free life. See, even after becoming a Christian, we will face difficulties. And some of which will actually come because we were being obedient, because we were being faithful. And you see back in this illustration, we see both men face storms, but only one will remain standing on the other side. And the text tells us why. The text says it could not be shaken. The house was unmoved by the storm. And we could ask why, how, because it had been built well. Because it had been founded upon the rock. Because it had been founded upon Jesus. You see, for those who come to Jesus, listen to Jesus, and do as Jesus says, they will become men and women who are able to stand when the storms of life come their way. And it won't be because of their own ability or their own strength, but simply because they laid their foundation on Jesus. And these are the kind of men and the kind of women that Jesus desires you and me to be. You see, that is the wise man, the man who comes to Jesus, hears Jesus and obeys Jesus. And then Jesus contrasts us, this first man with the second, where he says this, But the one who hears and does not, and does, sorry, and the one who hears and does not do them. So the one who hears the word of Jesus but does not do the word of Jesus, he is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the storm broke against it, immediately it it fell and the ruin of that house was great. I think what I find most challenging about this, this second man is that he appears to come to Jesus and hear the words of Jesus. So it appears that some of what he's doing is right. There's that approach to Jesus and that he seems to be hearing the words that Jesus says, but he's missing that vital final part, that, necessarily, that necessary, that vital ingredient, which is the doing what Jesus says. You see, you can say and listen to the right things, but if you're not acting upon it, if it makes no difference or no impact in your life, then you're in trouble. And the truth is, if you think about it, the truth is that the second man we have, the foolish man, his option is most likely easier, right? Out of the two men, which house would most likely have taken longer? which would have required more work and dedication, which would have cost more, most likely the first house, right? Because the first house, he chooses to lay a foundation, a solid foundation on the rock, whereas the second man, he just jumps straight to it. Not going to worry about the foundation. He just gets straight to building. And on the surface, the, this, this, this house built without a foundation most likely looks maybe even just as nice as the other guy's house, right? On the surface, Got the two houses before you. Chances are they both look just as nice as each other. On the outside, the difference would only be exposed when the storm came. It was the season of difficulty that revealed the true state of the houses and the true state of the men. And the same is true of us. It is through the difficulties and the trials of lives, of our lives, not the moments of comfort that will reveal what we have truly put our faith and trust in. Peter says it this way, where he says this in first Peter one and verse six says this in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why is this taking place so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says this, Peter says, Look, I want you to... Rejoice. And first of all, like, rejoice. But Peter, you can imagine these people. Literally, literally, but Peter, rejoice. Don't you know, Peter, I'm suffering. Don't you know what I'm going through right now? Rejoice? Uh, how can I rejoice in such a situation? And Peter says this, I want you to rejoice because, because in this trial your faith is being tested. Because this is an opportunity for your faith to be displayed, for what you truly trust in to be displayed. And if you place that trust in Jesus, man, that's going to result in praise, that's going to result in glory and honour. He says, because this faith, this faith which is more precious than gold, he says that this the trials is going to reveal where you're truly at. And this is exactly what we see with these two men here. You see, when a storm came, the man's house that had no foundation, it immediately fell. It immediately fell. And its ruin was great. It was completely destroyed. Its destruction was quick. Its destruction was great. And why? Because it had no foundation. The house was not founded on the rock. It wasn't built upon Jesus. And I have heard... This story multiple times throughout my childhood. And for many of you, if you've kind of grew up going to church, trust, even if you didn't grow up didn't grow up going to church, you've most likely heard of this story. And I remember I've heard it so multiple times. Ever since I was a kid, but it has only been more recently that it has become more meaningful to me, especially as I've come to see the grace, even in the ending scenes of destruction. The chapter kind of closes with that scene, where we see what we read, where it says, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. And I want you to picture that scene in your mind. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of that foolish man. And there you are on the shore. Kneeling down on, kneeling down on the ground as you look upon the wreckage of your torn down house. This is your home, your house, and now it's completely gone. Just like that. And you could imagine the sorrow and desperation this man must have been feeling, and yet despite the tragedy there, is there's hope in that moment. There's, there's this kind of undercurrent of grace and you would ask, how? How can you see it? Here's this man on the shore as he sees his house completely destroyed in front of him. And the undercurrent of grace in that is this. It's because this man now has a chance to rebuild again, only this time on the right foundation. One pastor, I once remember him saying this phrase, he says, any judgment before the final judgment is grace. Let me say again, any judgment before the final judgment is grace. Could it be that God in his grace would allow your house to fall apart so that the real foundation can be revealed? So that that which you have put your trust in other than God would be exposed and so that you could build now on the right foundation. You see, in that moment, as he sees his house destroyed, as it's been completely torn down, there is grace in this that through Jesus, he can now build a new house on a new foundation, on the right foundation and that, Being Jesus. And it is, I mean, it is the amazing love and the grace of God that confronts us in our sin. But it's also the amazing love and grace of God that then offers us forgiveness for every time we have been like the foolish man. And then gives us that chance for a new life so that we can become like that wise man. And this is all possible through Jesus. As we kind of bring this to a close, I want to turn back to those verses that we read in First in Peter. In First Peter chapter two and, and verse eight, what we what we well, well, I'll read from verse a bit further in that. Yeah, verse eight where it says, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. They stumble because they disobey the word. The foolish man, house comes tumbling down because he would not be a doer of the word. And as Peter says here, they stumble because they disobey the word. And the truth is that this was all of us at one point in our lives all of us we have all we all at one point started off as people who disobeyed god people who tried to be our own god and people who tried to build our own foundations people who would eventually stumble and people whose house would not withstand the storm but this is exactly where jesus steps in you see there was one man who perfectly came perfectly listened to God and perfectly was obedient to God and that person was Jesus. He lived the perfect life we couldn't. He died the death that we should. In some ways, Jesus is the wise Jesus is a bit like the wise man who lived perfectly, who built the right foundation, who built a good house and who yet chooses to enter into our brokenness and to experience the pain of a destroyed house so that we could be changed, so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven. Back in those verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it continues and it says this, speaking of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, it says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal race, priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, you are you are now part of a you 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 you're chosen, you're royal, you're priestly, and it's not because of anything you've done, but all because of what Jesus has done and you are now his possession. And it says this that you may proclaim the ex the excellencies. Oh man, what a hard word eh the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. the The offer of Jesus, the offer of the the good news of the gospel is this: is that Jesus, through the cross, has called us out of darkness into marvelous light who has called us out of the darkness of living a foolish life where the house is torn down into marvellous light, where we walk with him, where we listen to him, where we follow him. And as we say, we are now people, we are God's people. And we are people who have received mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And in light of such grace, how how can we not but say to him, Jesus, here I am, Tell me what to do. So my prayer to you guys, my prayer to me is this: is that truth is we can't be obedient. The thing is, we can't even be obedient without God's grace. We need God's grace to be obedient. But I want us to be we, to come before Jesus, and be like, hey Jesus, I want to be like that wise man. I want to be like that man who comes to you, who hears you, and is obedient to you. And Jesus, I ask you to do that in my life. And so much of the foundation of that, so much of the heart of that is when we realise just how much he has done for us, how much grace he has lavished upon us, how much mercy he shows towards us and wants to continue to show towards us. So by his grace, may we be men and women who come to Jesus, who listen to Jesus. And we do as he says and as a response, as a, as a result we experience the life that he always wanted for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to say thank you that you, for your death on the cross, have brought us out from darkness to marvellous light. And Lord, for, for all of us who who refuse to put our trust in, in you, Lord, that's, where we, that's, that's the state that we're in, darkness. Lord, but I thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to, to reach into our darkness and to offer us that, that gift of living in marvellous light. And the way we accept such a gift is when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the one who died on the cross in our place, who took on the punishment that we deserved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be taken from darkness to light. So that we would no longer have to be the foolish man, but we can now begin to become the wise man. So Jesus, we want to thank you that you've given us such mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you're so honest with us as well, even when we don't want to hear it. And by your Holy Spirit, help us to see the true nature of our hearts. Help us to see what foundations we've truly been laying down. And if it hasn't been you, Lord, Lord, we want to repent of that. We want to say, forgive us of that, Lord. And now, Jesus, we want to say, Lord, enable us, empower us to lay down the right foundation, which is you. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, empower us to be people who come to you, people who would listen to you, and people who would humbly obey you. So, Lord, I I ask, Lord, that we would become such people. As we go away here today, Lord, may you help us to remember these things, help us to live out these things. Lord, that we would be like this wise man in the story, Lord. And we just want to say thank you once again for all that you have done for us, for the mercy you have shown us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.